0: Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst James Early and Shannon Zimring. Guys, thanks for being here with me and not our colleague Seth Jason, who is in Italy right now on vacation. Ooh. Yeah, we Ooh. missed you, Seth. <laughs> Coming up, we'll take a look at Google's dark side and eBay's free love. We'll look at whether it's a good time to invest in insurance companies, share a few stock ideas, and air a few beefs. <laughs> But we begin with Mr. Market. Last week's optimism gave way to this week's worse than expected retail numbers. A reminder that investors may not want to pop the champagne just yet. We also had news that Chrysler was shutting down almost 800 dealerships and that GM was closing down 1,100 of its dealerships. Shannon? What was the big story that caught your eye this week in terms of the market?
1: Well, I actually think it is time to pop champagne. It seems (laughs) rational uh, that the market responded, at least today uh, and on Wednesday, in the way that it did around real deal economic data. So we've kind of gotten addicted to news that wasn't as bad as we expected, and that's caused the market to be on this uh, rush of irrational exuberance. So finally, that got checked, and the retail numbers came in. Uh, worse than expected. But if anybody was paying attention, uh, they knew that this was going to happen eventually. So uh, income has been declining for a while. Uh, People will remain concerned about their jobs. And so they're not spending. Well, that's a shock. That's a surprise. And so uh, the market got a dose of bad news, but that's actually good news because it's behaving more rationally. How long this will last? Who knows?
2: Now, when, when bad news is good news and good news might be bad news, you could argue that we've got a lot of head-faking going on here. Um, the analogy that I think of is from the movie The Princess Bride, which is sort of a medieval comedy movie where this guy sits down with another guy, uh, an adversary, with, with b- both with glasses of wine or something, and he's like, wait a minute, should I drink this? You might have poisoned it. In which case, I should switch the drinks and drink yours. But maybe you, anticipating my switching, <laughs> might have poisoned yours instead. Or maybe you knew that I would anticipate your anticipation. And so it kind of goes back and forth and back and forth. And I think, that it's, I think that's what's going on here. I mean, you know, we've got green shoots. We've got brown shoots. Um, you know, I think we just need to step back and, and take a few sleeping pills and, and wake <laughs> up when this is over. <laughs> and it'll all be better in the long run. But yeah,
1: but I, think that, I think that's right. And the market is a discounting machine. And the, 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 the market will turn up before the overall economy does. But it has to be looking forward to something. And so far, there's nothing that is there to be looked forward to.
0: Shannon, what did you make of the news uh, coming out of GM and Chrysler?
1: Uh, Well, so uh, at the level of folks who lost their jobs and the communities that have those dealerships as a a part of their business infrastructure, it's very sad news. There's just no getting around that. It was inevitable, though. The trajectory of U.S. auto sales has been on a steep decline for a good long while now, and so this was inevitable. But it's good news in the sense that it's almost like inventory reduction. Businesses have been on an inventory reduction vendor for a while, and so they're doing that in response to anemic demand, and so that That's a telling uh, detail right there, but it also sets the stage for a sharp, or at least a sharper recovery whenever that really happens and uh, consumers start spending and businesses have to restock the shelves. The inventory in this case is dealerships, and so you have to shut those down, and as sad at the individual level as it certainly is, uh, it's ultimately a good thing in a capitalist economy.
2: This is necessary. Toyota, for instance, has far fewer dealerships than Chrysler does, less than half as many. Yet they are, are, I think, number one or number two in market share in the U.S. I yep. mean, they just don't need this many dealerships. So uh, GM, likewise, is going to cut between 1,000 and 3,000 dealerships. Um, I think that's great. I don't think it's time to invest. It's just best to sit back and watch this Viking funeral pyre burn. And then <laughs> once the ashes have cleared, uh, we'll see what the auto industry looks like.
0: Why, why do I have the sense that James is channeling Seth just a, just a little bit? <laughs> All right. Late in the week, news that some of the major insurance companies will qualify for TARP money. Those names include Hartford, Prudential, and Allstate. But James, we're also hearing reports that some of these companies may choose not to accept the money. What, what do you do with that if you're an investor? Uh,
2: yeah, it's pretty funny because yeah, we, we were hearing now rumors that Prudential and Allstate are now refusing, not just saying refusing the TARP money, which is ironic. and The they applied for the TARP money. Uh, now they're gonna say hey things have changed. Um, we, maybe we don't like the conditions that, that were imposed but there's an argument there's a little bit of a, a straw man being set up here uh, to beat down and, and make them look good. You know bottom line with the insurance companies stay away. They're very exposed to the capital markets as stable as they are as companies. Um, you know their accounting is, is less cash-based than, than banks. They're regulated by states. And not by the federal government. So it's going to be harder to impose some sort of one size fits all solution here. The big risk, though, the big risk that the government is worried about is people making a run on the insurance companies to cash out their policies. Uh, and that could cause a lot of selling and, 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 and hurt a lot of people. If you yeah, have a policy, you're fine. But I, I would just wouldn't invest.
1: Yeah, and that would have a gigantic ripple effect too, because of the way insurance companies uh, make their money by investing the float. Uh, so th- we'll see what they do. You know, there is a lot of stagecraft that's gone on around all of this, uh, these TARP initiatives, and we'll see if they actually don't uh, take the money that they ask for. In some ways, it reminds me of the banks that say, "Oh, well, we we're going to pay that TARP money back just as soon as we possibly can," and then that's three, five, ten years on down on down the line. And we'll see if that actually happens too. There, there's a way in which they're sort of burnishing their reputations, burnishing uh, their appearance before shareholders. But the reality of it may be quite different.
0: Well, rounding this out, uh, word this week that the Obama administration plans to use some of the bailout money repaid by large banks to provide capital for community banks. Is it that, is that going to be welcomed by the community banks?
2: Probably not. Uh, It's kind of ironic that that, that we're using the big banks, sort of like the big brother's radioactive hand-me-downs for for the (laughs) little sibling. You know, I mean, the the big banks didn't want them, so so why would the little ones want them? I mean, it is a positive that banks are able to pay them back. Community banks, right? Because
0: we're the ones getting paid exactly, (laughs) yeah. But not anymore if if
2: they go right back out the door. uh, Community banks are, are. generally more conservative. They don't have all the securitization going on. However, their Achilles heels, they, they are a lot more exposed to local real estate markets. So some will need it. I think most won't. I think most will refuse it.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I hope, of course, that the, the ones who need it actually uh, avail themselves of it. It almost reminds me of the, the political story where you had some governor saying, no, no, no. Uh, it has nothing to do with the fact they have presidential aspirations, but I'm not going to accept the stimulus money because it's so it's so wasteful. And then the story <laughs> trickles on and on and on, and except for a couple of cases, they oh took the money, you know, but no, no, yeah. no shocker there. It, so to the extent that they are exposed to the local uh, real estate market and community banks are, and to the extent that their communities are you know, down in the dumps as a result of that, one hopes that they would uh, take what the government is offering and make the most of it for, their, for their, the folks they serve.
0: Bad week for Intel. The European Commission fined the company more than $1.4 billion for anti-competitive practices. The Commission alleges that Intel used illegal rebates and other tactics to limit chip sales by AMD. Shannon, what does this mean for shareholders of Intel and AMD? Well, uh, right now, nothing, because I think that's accounted for in the share prices of
1: both companies. Longer term, it actually, it, it could mean something. But this is an amazing story. It's a massive, a massive fine. And the allegations, and we should emphasize that they are allegations, are, are really uh, quite salacious. Basically, it amounts to uh, the accusations, again, that are alleged, uh, Intel almost bribing people there, uh, to, to not do deals with AMD, or if they have deals to postpone them, or maybe even consider canceling them. So they're, they're actually, uh, instead incentivizing them financially to not do uh, business with AMD. That's a, that's a big deal uh, allegation, and the, so the fine has been levied. That money's gone into a bank account. The appeals process may take years, and the fine may grow over the course of those years. Interestingly though, you know, setting aside the merits that we can't know right now of the case, uh, the, the, the person who heads up the EU's Competition Commission uh, characterized Intel as now being a, a patron of the uh, European taxpayer. And so you have to wonder, what is the agenda? here. So if it's true, uh, the allegations, and this is a genuine antitrust initiative, well, that's that's great. But so why say this other thing that makes it seem like, oh, by the way, thank you. Uh, why Cat say, was- <laughs> hey,
0: Intel, you're our
1: sugar daddy. Exactly, exactly. exactly. So, yeah. but we'll, we'll see how it pans out over time. It's going to take a, a really long, long while. And one other sort of uh, footnote to this is if they, they do finally levy the fine and Intel has to pay it, uh, that money will go to the competition commission itself uh, nice. as a part of its budget. So,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I remember the last time I was fined 1.4 billion dollars. Not easy. <laughs> that was I mean, a bad, bad week for it. you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, exactly. You know, it was actually 1.1 billion euros, and Intel just be, better be glad that the exchange rate has fallen, as it such. I mean, Europeans do like patron saints, uh, <laughs> and now they've got one more. Uh, just to put this in perspective, <laughs> or this patron sugar daddy. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is about a quarter of Intel's yearly net income, so it's it's it's, it's not insignificant. I mean, Intel does have about 70 percent of the microprocessor market. They love monopolies. I mean, if you want to think of a wrestling analogy, Intel is sort of like the bad guy wrestler. I mean, the guy who can't win unless he cheats. Uh, arguably, arguably, um, you know, kind of, kind of the Microsoft of microprocessors, and obviously they're great friends for good cause. Uh, you know, I don't think this is going to be a major dent. Intel's operations going forward. I think that's the bottom line. It's just it's just such a dominant business. Well, so that, but
1: that's an interesting point because if this really uh, these allegations turn out to be true and sort of part and parcel of Intel's business practices, and depending on the body that is interpreting the practice, it's legal or not, it could uh,
0: hamper their uh, work overseas to grow their market share.
2: Yeah, I would actually like that. Yeah. Yeah. If, if that happened.
0: Just just as an aside, as you said, Shannon, the fine is going to go into an account. That's right. For you know maybe <laughs> years, so. If you got to decide, if you're the appeals court, and you got to decide, would you leave it in the the bank account, or would you invest it in Intel stock or AMD stock? Well, actually, I would short financials. That's what I would do. (laughs) Nice, nice. Very nice. All right, Google is getting hit with a lot of criticism and a class action lawsuit over its plans to allow companies to bid for the trade names of their competitors as advertising keywords. So for example, Dell could bid to have its own ads appear when users search for Hewlett Packard or HP. So what do you think, Shannon? Is this is this a move to the dark side, or is this just good, smart, tough business? This is 21st century capitalism. Get used to it. So I, <laughs> I love this story uh, because
1: it, the, the the players are interesting, but also what uh, the precedent it will establish uh, will be interesting as well. So the the claim is that this is somehow a misappropriation of copyright. It's not. If I invented something, a battery operated lint brush set, I, and I I said it's the George Foreman grill of lint brushes, that would be a misappropriation of copyright. This buying someone's name and having your uh, company's name uh, come up first in search results is not a misappropriation. It's smart capitalism and you only wish this, this would be more interesting if the folks bringing the lawsuit actually had any merit.
0: I think they're annoyed, but you know, tough luck. That's just the way it works now. So we can't say that this is the George Foreman grill of financial podcasts? podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you can say George Foreman. Okay
2: it's kind of weird though i mean they are very directly using the gravitational pull of these brand names these companies have worked so hard to build up now the counter argument might be you know you go to the the CVS and you see something product is like Tylenol or yep. a cologne smells like Chanel except it doesn't um <laughs> and, and 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 that's that's fair and legitimate um i mean but but those are sort of obvious blatant imitators you know when you have competitors that are you know have their own brand names i mean I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I agree with Shannon mostly, but it just—it smell, smells. It smells bad. Me. It feels icky, and I think it's going to hurt Google to some degree at some at some level. May,
1: maybe in terms of
0: its reputation, it does smell bad, like a Chanel knockoff, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> a new twist from eBay beginning June 16th, eBay will allow sellers to list their first five items in any given 30-day period for free. The catch is that eBay will be taking a higher fee on items that are actually sold. In the words of our colleague, analyst Rick Minares eBay is getting rid of the cover charge but jacking up the drink prices. James?
2: Yes, yeah, eBay is trying to pack the house. More technically, they're trying to front load their inventory and just get a whole bunch of items in, this this critical mass that everyone's going to come check out, and that's what eBay did to begin with. I mean, that's why they're the, the pre-minute auction house. So it sort of makes sense from that angle. I like it from an experimental standpoint, but I think it's, Probably the biggest non-event of the week. I don't see this as a needle mover. It's interesting, it's good that users can still opt for the old setup, so they don't have to do this if they don't want to. But bottom line, by removing the cover charge, you you do place more of a hail mary incentive on 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 selling this thing in the end, so maybe we'll see some more interesting items pop up.
1: I I agree with James. It is a, a non-event. It does seem to me that eBay, at the level of its uh, you know income statement, is sort of balanced uh, or, or playing at the margins of its revenue stream. That's going to be the practical impact in terms of the business operations. But it does give us an opportunity to say what a gifted analogy spinner Rick is, <laughs> and to extend it just a little bit. It's always easier to get people to drink more once they're inside the bar and liquored up than it is to get them to pay a, a
0: higher cover charge. When they're sober. So on on the margins, it's probably a smart move. All right, it's time for What's Your Beef? Mm. Time to go off on a stock, a company, a person, a concept. James, what's your beef this week? Uh,
2: Chris, the Wall Street Journal reported, and this was the second most popular article the other day, that the U.S. is contemplating a soda tax to pay for health care. Now, I love this. I'm I'm usually pretty hands-off with government intervention, but I love this. Yeah, first of all... We are crazy soda drinkers. It's terrible for us. It's causing uh, insulin resistance, adult onset diabetes. Soda is our largest source of refined sugar. In 1942, we drank 60 cans a year on average, 1997. We drank 576 cans a year i'm proud to say that james early drinks zero
0: cans <laughs> per year on average yeah I think, although, <laughs> I think i think you're you're pulling our average down and i'm trying to <laughs> check it up
2: <laughs> although when i was a baby my, my reward for being good was coke in a bottle so uh, where does that leave me <laughs> see now? and look how good you uh, turned out and i'm pretty normal guys um <laughs> so you say Yeah, soda is sort of the cigarettes for children it, it, it's terrible uh the, there are correlations with childhood obesity and additional uh soda being consumed the average teenage boy drinks 24 ounces of soda a day. Uh, the, the, the obesity rate has, I think, doubled in the last 10 years among our, our children and teens, and I think soda is, is a big reason why. So, I hate to be so Gestapo, but it must be stopped somehow.
1: Oh, all right. So, I, I wish so much that I did not agree uh, with what James just said, but I do. So, if, if, uh, if someone were here, perhaps Seth, uh, he might make the point that, well, this is just another example of the nanny state gone too far. And it does raise interesting questions about where you draw the line. So, do you uh, tax people for not going to bed at a reasonable <laughs> hours so they get eight hours of sleep. And so it's arbitrary in some ways, uh, but the statistics are compelling. And so rather than any state, I would say it's sort of science-driven public policy, and that's, that's smart for all concerned. Shannon, what's your beef this week? My beef is whatever happened to the conversation about the public-private partnership that was going to rescue uh, the banks in terms of closing this valuation chasm between the, their toxic assets and what investors would pay? That was hot topic. Uh, people were all excited about that uh, going to be the thing that finally did seal the deal. We talked to Damon Silvers, who's uh, one of the, the congressional oversight panel members. He wasn't that enthusiastic about it, really couldn't speak to how successful it uh, was being. I think we now know it's not being successful at all. There's been uh, a news blackout, and maybe it's been been obscured by the rally and so it's kind of gone to the back burner but I for one would love to know uh, what's up with that
0: and if that's still plan A or I'm sorry plan what L at this point (laughs) exactly all right as we head into the second half of May give me one stock that's on your radar James Chris Walmart
2: reported some pretty decent earnings this week they're gaining
0: market share their
2: profit itself didn't move too much but their profitability is 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 looking good uh they are uh Increasing, or excuse me, they're reducing the number of brands they carry to sort of streamline their stores, which I think is a good idea. You know, I, I actually don't like it. I don't, I don't try to go there too much, but it, it's a very effective company.
1: Yeah, and a- actually, uh, James and I do sit in the same cube, but we prepare for these podcasts independently, and it turns out that, lo and behold, Walmart is my stock that's on my radar as well <laughs> uh, for a lot of the, the reasons that James just articulated. So, yeah, uh, earnings were flat, revenue was flattish, although I think that it was uh, a, a nice, gain if you account for the currency, the impact yeah. of currency. Uh, but to me, it's exactly the kind of company that is going to benefit from a sustained recovery whenever a sustained recovery begins uh, to, to happen. Because I think folks will uh, come in to back, to, back into the market in a sustained way around these uh, beaten down blue chips that have very compelling valuations. The risk reward premium will change over time as, as their multiples expand. But the, Walmart, Costco, uh, these kinds of companies look like uh, very juicy
0: pieces of low hanging fruit right now. All right, James Early, Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to this edition of Motley Fool Money. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear, do your homework, and make your own decisions. And remember, the conversation continues 24-7 at fool.com. I'm Chris Hill, and we'll see you next time.